Right. Well, good morning, church. I enjoyed an extra hour of sleep last night. I've already had four cups of coffee, so I'm ready to go. (laughs) Rested and wired. Let's jump right in. We're going to be in Acts chapter 12, continuing our series here uh, through the book of Acts. And there's scripture all around you. There's a Bible in front of you. If you prefer that, there's probably your phone. Uh, it's in the manual, or manual, bulletin. If you uh, like the bulletin and you're a minimalist, it's probably also on the screen above me. But we're going to be in Acts chapter 12, 1 through 19. Let's read that together. Verse 1. About that time, Herod the king laid violent hands on some who belonged to the church. He killed James, the brother of John, with the sword. And when he saw that it pleased the Jews, he proceeded to arrest Peter also. This was during the days of unleavened bread. And when he seized him, he put him in prison, delivering him over to four squads of soldiers to guard him, intending after the Passover to bring him out to the people. So Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. Now when Herod was about to bring him out on that very night, Peter was sleeping between two soldiers, bound with two chains and sentries before the door were guarding the prison. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood next to him, And a light shone in the cell. He struck Peter on the side and woke him, saying, Get up quickly. And the chains fell off his hands. And the angel said to him, Dress yourself and put on your sandals. And he did so, and he said to him, Wrap your cloak around you and follow me. And when he went out and followed him, he did not know what was being done by the angel was real, but thought he was seeing a vision. When he had passed the first and the second guard, they came to the iron gate leading into the city. It opened for them on its own accord, and they went out and went along one street, and immediately the angel left him. When Peter came to himself, he said, Now I'm sure that the Lord has sent his angel and rescued me from the hand of Herod and from all that the Jewish people were expecting. When he realized this, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, whose other name was Mark, where many were gathered together and were praying. And when he knocked at the door of the gateway, a servant girl named Rhoda came to answer. Recognizing Peter's voice and her joy, she did not open the gate, but ran in and reported that Peter was standing at the gate. They said to her, you are out of your mind, but she kept insisting that it was so, and they kept saying, it is his angel. But Peter continued knocking, and when they opened, they saw him and were amazed. But motioning to them with his hand to be silent, he described to them how the Lord had brought him out of the prison. And he said, tell these things to James and to the brothers. Then he departed and went to another place. Now when the day came, there was no little disturbance among the soldiers over what had become of Peter. And after Herod searched for him and did not find him, he examined the sentries and ordered that they should be put to death. Then he went down from Judea to Caesarea and spent time there. Would you please pray with me? Father God, already this morning, we've just been encouraged and comforted. Uh, by focusing in on who you are, a God who is worthy of praise, worthy of honor, a God who loves his people dearly. God, I pray that as we unpack the story in Scripture this morning, you continue to remind us of these truths of your faithfulness. Thank you for your love for us. Thank you for Jesus that made a relationship possible. God, we love you. We ask these things in your name. Amen. So, not sure if uh, you, like me, enjoy uh, this particular book of the Bible. It's one of my favorites because we get to see the beginning of the church. And I always kind of get goosebumps when I think about this, but the stories that we're reading on these pages, they're actually influential and impactful to what we're experiencing right now. 
like the thought that if this didn't happen, maybe this doesn't happen, right? Like we're, we're connected thousands of years later to these truths. And that has a way of just making this, at least for me, way, way, way more meaningful. And one of the things that just kind of as I knew uh, Jeff had asked me to preach on this a few weeks ago and kind of thinking about this particular text, but also the chapters that came before, it's this thing that, that's kind of been revealing, God's revealing it to me, and it's this idea that we get what we read in the stories. Like, you and I can comprehend what just happened, and we're going to, in a minute, just kind of break this down and look at some application from what we just read about Peter and this miraculous escape. But all throughout these stories, there's like this bigger thing kind of happening in the background, that God is at work and the things that maybe we don't always see. And, and the way he's working, it's connecting this moment to past moments. And it's connecting this moment to, to future moments. And as I was thinking about how to just really express this and articulate this, I was reading and I kind of came across this uh, way that the Greeks understood time. And maybe this is, maybe you know this, it was new to me. And, and so I'm still trying to kind of wrap my brain around this understanding. But the Greeks had two words that they used to really explain time. The first was chronos. Uh, and if you think about the, the word chronologically, that's where that word finds its way into our language. And this is time that is measured by minutes. It's things that we can point specifically to. Hey, this happened on this date. It's how we typically measure time, things that unfold in an order. Um, today, June 5th, sorry, November 5th, uh, I was looking at my notes here. So my son was born on June 5th. That's why I said that, right? And today we get to sort of measure that, that date, right? We can measure it. It's 17 months since he's been born. It was June 5th, 2022, 11.29 p.m. That's chronological time. That is the specific moment. So Ezra came into this world on that day, 17 months old today. Um, loved that little guy. I think the dude's been healthy for one month of his life. He's been sick for the other 16, but... It's just a season, right? That's what they say. It's going to have a great immune system. We're looking forward to those days. So that's chronological time. But this other word that the Greek used, they, it was, I hope I'm pronouncing it right, kairos time, right? It's this idea that time could be experienced not necessarily by the minutes we measure, but the moments we get to experience. And when we experience time in this way, it's really more of a season, and it connects us to things in the past and also things in the future. So thinking about our son being part of our life for the last 17 months, um, this moment, this season that my wife and my daughter, and we get to experience as our own little family, that moment is connected to, to bigger moments, right? Like I get to watch my kids play together. Our daughter loves our little, uh, little guy, and, and they play together really well. But I think about um, the preparation that God kind of did in her own heart so that she could be who she is today with him. Because uh, if you don't know this, our children are both adopted. And when our daughter was four years old and we were going through this process of um, adopting another child, uh, didn't want to just show up with a baby one day, right? It was kind of hard to maybe wrap your head around that as a four-year-old. So we were trying to prepare her to get ready for, hey, one day we may get a call. And the next week we might have another little person living in our home, right? And so to kind of bring her along in that, we... Um, we began praying with her, and we began kind of teaching her, hey, if you want these things, pray for it, right? And so if you want a brother, if you want a sister, if you want a sibling, pray for it. And so she started to pray for her little brother, 
And it was really sweet moments, but I look at how they play today, and what I'm realizing when I look at time in this way is that God was doing something in her heart, already kind of moving her heart to have an affection for this person she didn't even know. And so what we get to see today, the relationship, is really something that God was kind of putting in motion all along. And, and as I think about this idea of Kairos time, that's sort of how I would maybe explain it. Um, I don't Remember last week when you were like, I had a thought and it was good, and then I say it, and then it comes out of my mouth, I'm like, eh, not so good. Remember that? <laughs> This next note might fall into that. I'm just, that's my disclaimer, okay? So my last attempt to sort of explain these two ways of looking at time, right? Uh, Fifteen years ago, we were all introduced to some really awesome characters. Iron Man, Captain America, Thor. Who's the other one? Uh, the Hulk, the green guy. Yeah, the Hulk, right? And so if, if you got into these movies, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, right, you, you kind of followed along, and it was a series of movies, and they were wildly successful. They're still ongoing today. We're getting introduced to new characters all the time. But sort of the, the original group, uh, they formed a team, and they called them the Avengers. And that story was so big, they needed two movies to tell it. Uh, it kind of ended in 2019. And if you followed that series of movies, in 2019, they introduced this concept that turned me off to the whole thing. It was called the multiverse. <laughs> and if you're not familiar with the multiverse, I'll try to explain it quickly. So there's our world, the reality you and I experience. And then in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, there's the multiverse, which is like these other worlds that happen, uh, they coincide with our world, but we can't see them. They're, they're kind of these different parallel worlds. And uh, there are things going on that, are happening, but we're not aware of them, and somehow they connect, and I don't know, to me it became a ploy that if you write a bad plot, you can just say it happened in the multiverse, and, um, but it's this idea that there are things going on around us, right, and maybe we're not fully aware in the moment of what they are, but when we take a step back and we see the bigger picture, we could see how God's hand was in all of it, right, and that is what I sort of get as we're going through the, the book of Acts, right? That this, this big idea, I have it there in your notes, that God has always been, is currently, and will forever be present in the lives of his people. And just, I, I want to recap for you the, the chapters we've gone through already and where I see sort of this happening, right? There's the things we see on the surface, the high points of the stories, and we could glean these and pull these away and comprehend these easily. But in the background, there's, something much larger at play, something going on that speaks to God's sovereignty and his authority and his faithfulness to his people. And that's really where I want us to kind of focus before we get into breaking down uh, Acts chapter 12. And look, I'm going to do this quickly. I know there's 11 chapters. We're not saints play at noon. I got it. We'll be out of here before then. Promise. Okay. So look, Acts chapter 1. Just be real quick, real quick run through of the previous 11 chapters. So on the surface, these are the high points. In Acts chapter 1, Jesus ascends back into heaven and he commissions the apostles with this simple charge that you'll be my witnesses both locally and globally in Judea, Samaria, and to the ends of the earth. That's where we had the, uh, the name for this series, Witness, right? It comes from that verse, Acts 1.8. That's on the surface. So what's happening in the background? Jesus' ascension basically prepares the way for the Holy Spirit to come. When he ascends back into heaven, he's opening the door for the Holy Spirit to come. And then this also connects us to the, it connects the beginning of the church to a promise that 
God made through Jesus when he says, I will ask the Father and he'll give you another helper to be with you forever. This is in John. Even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him or knows him. You know him for he dwells with you and will be in you. That's in John chapter 14. Jesus declaring this promise of the Holy Spirit to come. His ascension is opening the doors for the Spirit to come. It also connects the church to the power of God. This is the same Spirit that was present when the world was created and participated in bringing life to humanity. It was the same Spirit that helped bring prophecy and prepare the way for the Messiah. And it's the same Spirit that raised Jesus from the dead. All of this happening in the background. Get to Acts chapter 2. The Holy Spirit comes, fills all the believers. Peter starts to preach, declaring Jesus as the Messiah. Thousands are saved And we see at the end of Acts chapter 2, the church becomes a family. What's happening in the background, again, promises of God are being fulfilled. I think all the way back to Genesis chapter 3, when God is confronting Adam and Eve in their sin, but he also confronts the serpent. And he says in Genesis 3.15, I'll put enmity between you and the woman, and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head, and you shall bruise his heel. God in Genesis 3.15 is planting the seeds of the gospel. And that promise is fulfilled in the Messiah, Jesus, in his defeat of sin, death, and hell. But then Jesus, this ascension and the coming of the Holy Spirit, it's empowering the church to continue God's mission. Jesus promises Peter in Matthew 16, 18, he says, I tell you, you're Peter, and on this rock I'll build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against them. We see Peter in Acts chapter 2 beginning to fulfill that, that promise that Jesus makes. Acts chapter 3 and 4. On the surface, we have Peter and John. Who, they heal a lame beggar. They're arrested. They stay in trial. The gospel is preached and thousands more respond. What's happening in the background is the Holy Spirit is doing what Jesus said the Holy Spirit would do. There's healing. There's boldness through just ordinary people like you and me. We see that God is beginning to use persecution and suffering as a mean to scatter his people and to spread his word. In Acts chapter 5, we read about the deaths of Ananias and Sapphira. There's apostles who are imprisoned and then released. But what's happening in the background is an identity is starting to form amongst God's people. Acts 5.29, if there was a director of marketing and public relations, this would be the, the banner verse for the church. Peter says that we must obey God rather than men. That's what the church begins to do. God, we see in Acts chapter 5, he begins to protect the faithful which is his church. And, and I think about the, the song. There's a song called Furious. There's lyrics from this song. Just listen to these lyrics. It says, his love is fierce. His love is strong. It is furious. His love is sweet. His love is wild. And it's waking hearts to life. In the background, this is what's happening with the church. Acts chapter 6, verses 1 through 7, we see the first deacons are selected to assist serving the church. What's happening is we realize that God is a God of order and he has a structure of authority. He passed down his authority to us in the garden when he said to subdue and have dominion over the earth. But this authority also gets translated to church structure and order. And his followers are leading the way and serving people much like Jesus did. We see God's faithfulness and promises realized as the church continues to grow. In verse 7 of Acts 6, it says, And the word of God continued to increase. And a number of his disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem. And a great many of the priests became obedient to the faith. Nothing is going to stand against God's church. 
in the back part of Acts chapter 6 and then on to Acts chapter 7, we see and are introduced to a man named Stephen. The scripture says he's full of grace and power and he was seized for doing signs and wonders. His defense of the gospel and the charges laid out before him, it connects the truth of Jesus all the way back to Abraham. At the end of that, we see that Stephen gets stoned. We're introduced to a character named Saul in that chapter. But again, we see God using hardship, persecution, suffering as a means to spread his gospel. In Acts chapter 8, we see that Saul is hunting the church. But then there's an emergence of Philip, one of the seven, as a mouthpiece for the gospel and an extension of God's healing power. Philip meets an Ethiopian and baptizes him. What's happening in the background is the love of Christ is on the move. That charge to be witnesses to Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth, it's happening, right? The ends of the earth, Ethiopia, God is using common, ordinary people who have walked with Jesus to proclaim and display his grace and his truth. In Acts chapter 9, we see the conversion of Saul. We see the obedience of a man named Ananias. We see amidst great persecution, the church Walking in the fear of the Lord and the comfort of the Holy Spirit, we see the church multiplying. In the background, Saul becoming Paul. This is probably the most important transformation uh, recorded in the New Testament. Apart from Jesus, Paul is maybe one of the most influential people for the church. Think about all the, the letters and the people that he would impact through just his understanding of who God is and sharing that starting churches. I mean, we still read those letters today. What's happening in the background is, think about Ananias. There's a few verses about who he was, but don't overlook the power of small acts of major faith. God uses these things in ways that maybe we can't comprehend. And then Acts 9.32 through Acts chapter 11, we see Peter being used by God to bring healing, life to people. The Gospels preach and the Gentiles and the, to the Gentiles, and the Holy Spirit is received. And the church is firmly established as all the people of God. Jews and Gentiles, his entire restored humanity. And in the background, what's happening is all of humanity is being restored to Jesus. And this restoration, it brings new life. We're new creations. We have a new heart and a new mind with new desires and new passions. We're now saints adopted into the family of God and surrounded with new community and new ways to love. So we have a restored value. We have a a new future with belonging and with purpose. All these things happening behind the scenes. This is what God is orchestrating. And so just reemphasizing this idea that God has always been, is currently, and will forever be present in the lives of his people. Think about that as we unpack the truths found in Acts chapter 12, the story that we just read. One other thing I'd like to share before we start breaking down this story is, is just as we're able to take a step back. You know, they always say hindsight is twenty twenty, that we can see more clearly in the rearview mirror. We read these stories with that benefit, right? But just maybe this is of some comfort to you. But what's happening to you right now in your life, it might not be for right now. It might be for five years from now. It might not even be for you. It might be for your kids or for your grandkids. So whatever, whatever it is, right, that God is doing, whatever you're wrestling with, like have faith and confidence, and be at peace that we worship a God who is in all things and he holds all things together. 
And we can trust these stories and these truths, and we could realize that we can rely on those promises. So just for what it's worth, just wanted to kind of share that. We're going to break down this text now, Acts chapter 12. We are introduced uh, to some people here. There's some characters in this story, not that we're introduced to them, but uh, some characters in the story that we're going to highlight. First is Herod of Agrippa I. Uh, you might have heard the name Herod before. He is the grandson of Herod the Great. Herod the Great, uh, evil, evil man, a legacy of just uh, selfish ambition at the expense of people. Um, he is the Herod that we read about around the birth of Jesus who puts all the males to death under the age of two because of his fear of being replaced by this Messiah king. That is Herod of Agrippa's grandfather. And now we read about Herod in Acts chapter 12. And the commentary that I read about kind of shared a little background on who this person was. Uh, Herod of Agrippa I, he was raised and educated in Rome. And at that time, uh, in Rome as an adult, he was on shaky ground with a lot of people because uh, history tells us that he had accumulated numerous debts uh, to a lot of different people. And it's not like today. If you have a lot of debt to a lot of people, you can just leave and they don't find you. (laughs) It's hard to track you down. That's what Herod did. He left Rome to escape his creditors and he went to Palestine. Uh, And in Palestine, this is an area, northern Palestine, which includes Judea and Samaria. So it's, it's in this area that the story takes place. And he becomes ruler in this area. And because of his Uh, relationship with Rome, uh, people in Rome, how it was rocky, it was super important that he maintain loyalty uh, with his Jewish subjects. And so the way in which he would maintain loyalty with his Jewish subjects is he would do things that would please the Jews. And so one way that he won favor was to persecute the church. We see in the introduction of this story in the first few verses where it says that Herod Uh, laid violent hands on those who belonged to the church. That he killed James, the brother of John, with the sword, so the first apostle of Jesus, martyred. And when he saw that it did what? It pleased the Jews. He then proceeded to arrest Peter also. So his persecution of the church was sort of out of self-preservation. He understood that the people that he was ruling uh, took pleasure in the fact that the church was being persecuted. And so he went about killing James, arresting Peter, and he was also pretty smart, right? He was a bit of a showman, and so rather than kill Peter immediately too, we find out that this story happens during the days of unleavened bread and the Passover, and so at that time, Jerusalem would have been filled with Jews on pilgrimage coming to the city for those events, and so he wanted to wait until after that was over while the people were still there to put Peter on trial to kind of maximize the exposure of this event. But this whole plan backfires, right? We read later that Peter has this miraculous escape, and so instead of people seeing Peter be put on trial and maybe his ultimate death as well, what they are then reminded of, or or at least probably uh, this story reminded them of a story a few years ago that happened during Passover, are the similarities between Jesus' resurrection and Peter's escape, right? That there was uh, another man named Jesus, who was put to death, held in prison, a tomb, right? But in a miraculous way, he rose from that tomb, rose from that grave. Same thing Peter in this story, in a miraculous way. He was in prison, but he, he was, in a miraculous way, released from that prison. There's no doubt that the people there were reminded 
of Jesus' resurrected life through this series of events. And this is just another example that for those who oppose God, there really is no victory in that. And I don't want to spoil, spoil alert for next week. Jeff will share this with you, but Herod meets quite an interesting end to his life. And when we oppose God, that is the types of things that happen. So Herod was all about um, persecuting the church because it pleased some of the Jews. He, he was about self-preservation at the expense of others, and that's Herod, right? But then we get introduced to the church. It says in verse 5 that Peter was kept in prison, but earnest prayer for him was made to God by the church. And I love that verse. And maybe if in all things that we talk about this morning, if this is the verse that you walk away with, the truth that God's sort of implanting your heart, maybe, maybe this is a word for someone today. The word that was used to talk about this earnest prayer uh, that was made to God by the church, it's the same word that was used to describe Jesus' prayer in the Garden of Gethsemane when he began to sweat drops of blood. It just shows the intentionality and the focus of their prayers. But what I love about the church praying is that this was not a reaction to Peter's situation. Yes, they were praying for that circumstance. But prayer was already a habit and a routine of their life. We read in Acts chapter 2 and Acts chapter 4 that the church met regularly to do what? To break bread and to pray, right? So this was, this was part of what they were already doing. They didn't react out of prayer They were already praying, and then they were praying specifically for Peter. The church in this moment, they don't panic. That's what I love about just when when people understand the faithfulness of God, you don't panic, right? You can walk through seasons of life with peace. There's a a movie, I don't remember the name of it, uh, but it was a comedy years ago, Vince Vaughn, and um, they're scuba diving or snorkeling, and they're in the open water, and there's a guy on the boat, the instructor, and they're swimming, and a bunch of sharks just start, like, swimming around them. And so, of course, they're all nervous, and the guy, the instructor in the boat, who is quite safe in the boat, is like, don't panic, don't panic, right? And so one of the, one of the guys is panicking, and Vince Vaughn is just saying over and over in a panicked voice, he said not to panic, he said not to panic, right? Like, just trying to, like, remind himself. But that's what I think about here, right? Like, God said not to panic. He said not to panic, just pray, just trust. But how often do we panic before we pray? Um, This is no judgment, what I'm about to share, okay? But it kind of makes me smile. I'm being honest, it makes me laugh, but I'll just smile. um, But there was, uh, all of you experienced this a few weeks ago. Uh, It was around 1 or 2 o'clock when, the government, federal government, was testing the emergency broadcast system, and your phone went off. Y'all remember this? Remember this a few, few weeks ago? Um, and this was a test. And so that particular day at the school, we started getting phone calls of concerned parents, and they were asking, hey, what are you going to do to protect my kids? And we're like, what are you talking about? And they're like, well, they're testing this thing. And we're like, yes, but what are you talking about? And there was just some concern about protection of children, and so... There were so many calls that I was like, I've got to figure out what's going on. So I started Googling it. Why are people scared of this test? <laughs> and there's a conspiracy theory that was floating around on the Internet um, that suggested that the use of the 5G uh, bandwidth to test this frequency had something in it on that particular day that was going to 
uh, react with people who had the COVID-19 vaccine, something in their body, is going to start a reaction that was going to turn people, I'm not making this up, I promise this is, you can Google this, into zombies, and it was going to usher in the zombie apocalypse. And so, while no one on the phone specifically mentioned zombies, um, there was some concern and there was some panic, right? And again, I'm not judging anything. I'm just saying that sometimes we hear things in this world and rather than pray, we panic. I think about what Paul says in Romans. He says, don't be conformed to what? The patterns of this world, but instead be transformed by the renewal of our minds. The church in this story, their minds were renewed because they spent time in prayer, because they dwelled on the things of God. And there's a lesson there for us that when things in life happen and it maybe causes anxiousness or worry or panic, that our first go-to should be prayer. Should not be panic. Should not be panic. Then we get to Peter in this story. Now, I know what I'm about to say might be a shocker to you, but I've never been to prison. Now, that might be surprising, but I have watched Shawshank Redemption, and from what I know, um, I don't want to go there, right? Don't want to go there. Peter's there now. He just saw one of his best friends get killed. He is in a, a cell that is not comfortable. He is literally in between guards. They're chained to him, right, so that he doesn't get away. And what is Peter doing? He's sleeping, sleeping. And not just any kind of sleep, like he is zonked out. Because when the angel came, after the bright light and after the commotion, he's still sleeping. It says in verse 7 that the angel had to hit him. He said, get up, right? You can read it. It's in verse 7. He actually had to hit Peter, right? And I think about Peter in this moment. I think about the peace that he shows. It's Jeff, it's what you talked about. It's the security that we have. That Paul talks about in Romans 8. Peter knew about this peace because, he ref- I mean, he's been there before. He's been in prison before. He's escaped every time. Right? In Acts chapter 5, there was a miraculous escape similar to this one that he was part of. At the end of John, Jesus tells Peter that essentially you're not going to die young. You're going to die old. So there's Peter in prison believing and seeing that every word that Jesus has spoken has always come true. Why would I have any worry right now? I'm still a young guy. Yeah, my situations, they're not my favor. But I'm not going to panic. I have a peace, right? And Peter, throughout his life, as he walked with Jesus, he witnessed firsthand the power of God because he was right there with him. And for some of us today, we've witnessed firsthand the power of God in our own lives. We need to remind ourselves that God is in all things. And he came before us. And he's here with us now. And he's going to be there with us tomorrow. And when things of this world maybe have us worked up, our situations don't look that good, or the circumstance we're in, the outcomes aren't that favorable, we need to remind ourselves that we can have peace. That we don't need to panic. That our God loves us. And he's for us. He's not against us. Peter, I want to sleep like Peter slept. Right? Wouldn't that be amazing? amidst life storms, to just be able to rest in the peace of God. Then we, then we meet Mary, the mother of John Mark. We meet the church. And they're doing in the story what the church in Acts did. 
They were gathering in homes. They were fellowshipping with one another. They were praying. And so Peter escapes miraculously and he goes to the house and he knocks on the door. And this is, again, like another kind of comical moment. A lot of Peter's stories are comical to me. He's going to be an interesting dude to meet one day, right? Um, He's knocking on the door. And it says Rhoda comes to answer. But she doesn't see him, but she hears him. And she recognizes the voice. She runs back in with great joy. A joy that, that happens when a prayer that you've been praying has been answered. Right? And she goes back in and tells everyone what's going on. And they're like, oh, you're crazy. There's no way. Right? And there's Peter just, guys, right? Kind of a fugitive right now. Let me in. And so, so they let him in. Right? They let Peter in. They celebrate. There's joy. There's, there's you know, praising and worshiping of a God who is faithful through and through again. And then he's like, hey, I got to get out of here. They're looking for me. I'm going to skedaddle so you don't get in trouble. Herod's looking for Peter. He can't find him. But again, Peter moves to another area. Again, we see God using the scattering of his people to spread his gospel and his message to begin situating and putting people in place. These are, these are the things that are happening all the time in these stories. It's God's faithfulness over and over again. We see God's response to the prayers of the faithful. He hears. He listens. That's why we can not panic. That's why we can go to him in prayer and go to him in prayer with confidence because time and time again he shows that he is a faithful God. And again, we see, and this has been uh, stated already in Acts, but you're going to see it again next week, that um, the word of God increases and multiplies. Again, his promise that his church is going to grow and expand, that nothing's going to stand against it, is being fulfilled. His charge that the apostles are going to be his witnesses in Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. These things are playing out. We're seeing them in real time. And it's this idea I'll stress it again that God has always been, is currently, will forever be present in the lives of his people. And we could be reassured by that. We could have confidence in that. And when we think about our own lives, as we kind of conclude things here, we can realize that our stories are connected to these stories. That the God of the Old Testament that made promises that were fulfilled with Jesus and Jesus declaring things about his church that are being fulfilled in the book of Acts that his power through the Holy Spirit are taking ordinary people and making them bold and proclaimers of his gospel. Like, we're seeing all this at work. And we can have confidence in that. That this did not end when the pages of this, we shut this book. That it's still ongoing today. So just some ways that I think we can apply and respond to this. I left some questions there in your bulletin. And this isn't to answer now, but it's something to be thinking about throughout this week. And just want to go through those with you. When life feels chaotic, when it feels broken, when it feels hopeless, do you panic or do you pray? Right? The, the financial hardship, the, the medical emergency, the relationship that is kind of on the rocks, the, the career move, the, the future with your children or your families that you don't know about. Like, are you panicking about those things or are you at peace praying about those things? Because we have a God, as we've seen and we talked about so much already this morning, who's present through all of it. Second question here, where has God's faithfulness appeared in your life? What sense of peace and hope does that bring? I see in this story 
Just this remarkable display of peace by Peter. It really is incredible. But it's because he knows, right? Like, like he knows. He knows that when you walk with Jesus, he is going to be there with you through the valleys and through the mountaintops. Last week, we sang this song, uh, Firm Foundation. And I was thinking about this passage and, and the, the verses from that song. I just, this is verse 1 of that song. I want you to think about Peter in that moment being in that cell. Falling asleep like a baby in between two guards. Here's verse 1 of that song. Christ is my firm foundation, the rock on which I stand. When everything around me is shaken, I've never been more glad that I put my faith in Jesus because he's never let me down. He's faithful through generations, so why would he fail now? (laughs) Peter asking himself that question. And he doesn't have to answer it with words. He's answering it. And his behavior, the song, after it asked that question, so why would he fail now? The answer is he won't, right? Peter's sleeping because he knows he won't. (laughs) Peter's sleeping because he said not to panic, right? That's what Peter's showing us here. What about your life? What sense of peace and hope does knowing God's faithful through and to the end uh, bring you? And then finally, third question, your life is part this ongoing epic that began in Genesis. And throughout this story, God is intimately present in the lives of his people. How does this knowledge offer peace and restore purpose for you? As we continue journeying through the book of Acts, we're going to see time and time again that, yeah, there's these stories, these, these moments on the surface, we could comprehend the facts, but there's something happening much bigger in the background. And, and it's connecting the church with who God was at the beginning of creation. It's connecting the church with who we are now and the future of the church moving forward. I pray that we think about that as we read these stories and we let that empower our faith. Would you guys pray with me? Father God, you are faithful through the ages. And that's a simple statement, but it's full of meaning. And it's full of comfort. And it helps redefine or maybe refocus the way that we look at our future. That we can walk ahead in peace and not panic. That we can go to you and petition before you in prayer for things that maybe look like hardships or challenges or or things that we don't know the outcomes to or how they're going to work out. But in praying to you, we know that you're the God who holds all things together and that you're sovereign. Now, you raised your son Jesus from the dead, and and he conquered sin, death, and hell so that we could have life. Now, you brought Peter out of that tomb to continue the spreading of the gospel and the advancement of your church. And you don't want to see any of that end. In fact, you have things for us to do in this life. You have things for us to do tomorrow and next week. You have things for us to do for the remainder of our days, and it's going to affect your church, and it's going to affect your kingdom. And I'm thankful that you bring us along in the story and you give us purpose. Now we get to walk with you and alongside of you. We get to feel your touch and your power, your mercy and your grace. And we get to show that to people around us. Help us to be people who get to demonstrate lives of faithfulness and obedience, empowered by the truth and the knowledge that you're a God who will never leave us, that you're always there for us. We love you, God. We ask this in your name. Amen. We're going to conclude today.
by reading our Great Commission benediction, and that will likely be on the screen behind me here. And there's something about this verse, I think it just ties into what we were talking about this morning. Um, You know, there's a lot of things that we can take from this verse, but there's a part that I think is really important. It's at the very end here, right? When it says the very last line, and behold, this is Jesus, I'm what? I'm with you always to the end of the age, right? And that that is the idea that we get when we read stories like, this book of Acts, this idea that we can be comforted with. So with that, let's read this commission together. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age.